Hello to you. Welcome to the weekend edition of Coin Market Recap with Connor and Molly Jane. How are you, Molly Jane? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Can a Chihuahua survive in space? No, it could not. Not even for a minute. But, but with oxygen, like if it had like the same like bubble that astronauts have, if it went to the International no. Space Station, it could survive. No. Walks would be difficult. <laughs> this is a commentary to our listeners on the ridiculous names of cryptocurrency tokens listed on CMC. And a recently so. added one is Chihuahua in Space. <laughs> not an advertisement. Not an advertisement. We're just talking about the practicalities of the the utility of this. Is what we're talking about. Oh, I was going to say I saw the Soviet dogs that went to space. Oh. I think they're stuffed in the museum. I saw them. Oh, if right. I'm remembering this correctly. So, as if they hadn't suffered enough, yeah. they've been stuffed as well. Yeah, they look really cute. My nan had a Chihuahua. We called it Rat on Stilts. <laughs> Did she also get it? taxidermied she did not no okay. uh, that's a discussion for another time but we have got lots to discuss this week we're going to be talking about the fed increasing interest rates yet again we'll talk about the us's plans america's plans to ban algorithmic stable coins for two years is ethereum in america's jurisdiction we'll find out jesse powell's leaving kraken we'll talk about his career twitch is banning crypto gambling what's the significance of that and finally we'll be talking about nai bekele who wants to be re-elected as the president of el salvador even though the constitution says he's not allowed give our show a follow on apple podcasts spotify and google podcasts and we're on twitter at Connor Sefton, at Molly J. Zuckerman. This week's crypto headlines. So we're going to start with the Federal Reserve, which, yes, has increased interest rates by three quarters of a percentage point for the third time in a row. That, Molly Jane, takes interest rates in the US to their highest level since before Bitcoin was even created. Wow. Sorry, I forgot I was supposed to react there. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, when you, when you go on a podcast and someone says something, you're normally meant to reply. I nodded. <laughs> yes. So it's a very big deal. And Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has basically said, listen, it's going to keep on going. We're going to carry on increasing interest rates because inflation is still out of control. It's meant to be at 2%. And the consumer price index at the moment is 8.3%. That's more than four times what they want it to be. So... There is an argument that these interest rate increases haven't really been having the effect that they're supposed to have. I like to consider myself a relatively intelligent person, mm-hmm. but federal interest rate hikes, mm-hmm. no matter how many articles I read or podcasts I listen to that you have made, <laughs> it's just the significance just slides around my head and just sort of sort of, sort of slides away. Mm-hmm. So... How I would explain it is the base rate that the Federal Reserve sets determines the interest rates that all lenders set. It decides the cost of borrowing. So credit card bills will get more expensive. Mortgages may get more expensive. It's good news for savers. They'll get more money on their savings because of this interest rate hike. There are a few things at play. Firstly, when interest rates go up, obviously it makes bonds more attractive, that can make Bitcoin less attractive by comparison. Also, we can see the fact that when interest rates go up, this is bad news for companies 
tech companies in particular that have borrowed a lot of money to get where they are today, because that means that they may start having to pay more interest on the money that they borrowed. That causes tech stocks to slide. And given the fact that Bitcoin has been trading like a tech stock for some months now, Bitcoin gets dragged down with them. So generally speaking, interest rate rises are not good for Bitcoin. And also we're in uncharted territory because like I said before, we've never had interest rates this high since Bitcoin existed. Connor, I understand it now. <laughs> hey, there you go. I get it now. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but you made it click for me. Excellent. Well, I'm very pleased about this. Um, Bloomberg's Mike McGlone described it as the Fed sledgehammer. He says that we're currently in one of the biggest bear markets in his lifetime and that it's still early days. He thinks there could be further pain for Bitcoin ahead, but he's still convinced that an all-time high will be seen by 2025. So it's it's going to be difficult, difficult times for the crypto markets in the months ahead, I'd say. It will be, but I do think now that I understand this better, mm. <laughs> there are sort of two uh, conflicting ideas going on mm. here. On on the one hand, Fred in, uh, federal interest rate hikes, your explanation of why they're bad for Bitcoin makes perfect sense. However, I do believe there is that theory that when everything in the world is going poorly, mm. Bitcoin goes up because it's a hedge against everything bad that is traditional. And I'm purposefully not being specific here. It's mm. just that when things are bad in the traditional world, then Bitcoin goes up. So I think that's a contradictory yeah, sort of idea going on in the background here, which is as the world enters this big bear market and then there is inflation and hyperinflation and wars and et cetera, hypothetically, Bitcoin should be thriving on this general chaos because it is supposed to be a sort of step away from the world. A couple of years ago, I would have agreed with you because that was true. But for most of this year, we've seen that Bitcoin has been really closely correlated to the stock market. And um, right now, everything's going down. Stocks, Bitcoin, gold, everything's going down and the dollar is strengthening. So that narrative you're describing just doesn't hold water anymore. And it might be a sign of panic among investors. It might be a sign that Bitcoin's maturing. And because it's maturing, it's starting to align itself more closely with the equity markets. But for now, Bitcoin's really in a route because things potentially could get worse for the S&P 500, for the Nasdaq. And if it does, Bitcoin's going to go down too. Well, you know, I think that the rallying cry on Twitter whenever Bitcoin doesn't do what people think it should do, according to certain narratives, they say it's too early. <laughs> yes. It's just too early for Bitcoin to act the way we all think it should act. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's just too early. Maybe let's wait for like the next world disaster in like 10 or 20 years and then Bitcoin will thrive. I don't think you'll need to wait that long. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I don't had to manage your expectations. It's probably going to happen in a shorter time frame than that. Um, okay. But um, worth noting as well, very briefly, that Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy have bought more Bitcoin. They've bought 301 Bitcoin, an average of about $19,800 per coin, already underwater by about $300,000. So 
kind of just it seems Couch like change. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, that's that's a <laughs> blot on a blot on the copybook, that is. Um nothing to worry about there. Um so not good. But Ethereum really is performing far worse on a seven day time frame than Bitcoin is. This post merge glow really has disappeared for Ethereum, hasn't it? Oh, yes, it has. Mm. It's down something like 20% on the week, although don't hold me to that, because by the time this podcast airs, anything could happen. Anything could happen. So keep anything. an eye on coinmarketcap.com for the very latest on how things are performing on a seven-day time Just frame. never close the tab. Just never close the tab. It, you don't need Just to refresh constantly. it. It updates for you. Yeah, we're that sorry. good yeah, you're right. we're that good we're th- we are that good <laughs> so we'll move on we'll talk about the US because they're considering a two year ban on algorithmic stable coins and of course this is in reaction to what happened to UST what do you think about this is it a good idea the whole thing sort of comes down to jurisdictions again mm. which is how can the US ban the use of algorithmic stable coins when decentralized finance exists. Mm. Well, I think that what it, how it would work is exchanges which serve American consumers might find it difficult to list algorithmic stable coins. So that would be a big hurdle when it comes to access. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, could there be punishments for American investors who buy algorithmic stable coins despite the US telling them not to? I guess that's interesting. Um, you know, as a US citizen... Mm. Uh, with a New York residency, you know, it, it's basically me, people in Hawaii as well that have probably the the least access to different exchanges and trading. Yeah, because of uh, those two states, I think Georgia, at least for a while, was also a third state that also limited um, different types of trading. Mm. But as far as I know, if I found a way to trade these coins, it wasn't that I would then be punished for it. It's just that the exchanges were supposed to gatekeep people like me from having access to them. So yeah, if you flipped the narrative around and I would have to pay a fine if I traded, you know, Terra 2.0, I would definitely be less inclined to trade it. That's for sure. You do make a good point though, because with a decentralized exchange, how will they police that if somebody buys an algorithmic stable coin? Because in some cases, there's no know your customer checks to see where someone's from it could get very difficult to do this. No, and I'm not sure if you I'm not sure if you saw but GitHub put Tornado Cash back online. They did. They did. So the US it yeah, the US um, you know, long arm of the law is not really reaching that far. Yeah. It seems with open source uh, decentralized financial mm-hmm. applications. Well, this proposed legislation would make it illegal to create endogenously collateralized stablecoins, very fancy words there, basically means if their value is solely based on a different digital asset by the same issuer. So in this case, it'd be UST and Luna. So bearing in mind, algorithmic stablecoins, where you have a normal stablecoin, and if it's um, like Tether, for instance, and it's paid to the US dollar, every dollar's worth of Tether that's in circulation is meant to be backed by a dollar that's held in a bank. Algorithmic stablecoins don't have this. Instead, it's just code dictating supply and demand, meaning that it's not backed by anything effectively. And there has been quite a bit of a track record of algorithmic stablecoins not really going to plan, not working very well. And this is why we're at this point. But 
Saying that, the US is trying to make it so banks and non-banks can issue their own stable coins. So it's kind of like giving with one hand and taking with another, isn't it? Yeah, and I do think they're taking based on the information they have, mm-hmm. which is Terra and Luna. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. And I think the giving is an unexpected sort of treat to go alongside it. Yeah. I mean, many countries, the UK as well, are looking at stable coins quite enthusiastically. Uh, the UK back in April, didn't they, said that they wanted to make um, stable coins a valid payment method. So, you know, there are there are signs that the benefits are there. We've just got to see how things pan out with the regulation. Of course, Do Kwon still on the run and Interpol is being asked to issue a red notice by South Korea. It had been thought he was in Singapore, but Singaporean police have now gone, no, he's not here, which is just now the whole exercise is, where in the world is Do Kwon? And he's telling people on crypto Twitter that he's not going to share his GPS coordinates. So, Unless you're playing a GPS game with him. Or your friends and you're meeting up with him. Okay, so like, if I was going to meet him for a coffee, he would tell me which Starbucks to go to. But yes, <laughs> okay, I see. Sure, yeah, sense. intriguing, intriguing. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, it seems inevitable, doesn't it, that he will get arrested, right? I don't know. I mean, if he's if he's in a country with no um, extradition policy, and if he's not going to travel, even if his passport gets revoked, I mean, he could just he could just be there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just I don't I don't really fully understand how. Uh, what happens when your passport is revoked? And I don't think I ever want to find out what will happen. Oh, neither <laughs> do I, actually. <laughs> yeah. So moving on, and we're going to talk about a court case. Now, it all sounds pretty straightforward to begin with because we've had court cases like this before. This is about a crypto influencer called Ian Bellina. He's accused of promoting an initial coin offering, an ICO, without telling his fans that he was being paid to do so. Relates to a project called Sparkster, raised $30 million from 4,000 investors by selling Spark tokens. Now, in the court filing against Ian Bellina, in the 69th paragraph, the SEC says that the US has jurisdiction for all activity that takes place on the Ethereum blockchain. What's their argument here, Molly Jane? Why are they saying this? Because the majority of Ethereum validators are located on US territory. Does that sound logical to you? No. Why? Because, first of all, after the merge, the number of validators is going to be or has changed and mm-hmm. will constantly be changing and evolving. Number two, this is not like Ethereum is a business that registered in Delaware and mm-hmm. thus is now governable by US laws. Mm-hmm. It is by nature a decentralized network. Mm-hmm. So picking a random point as a way to assign it a jurisdiction it's just the puzzle pieces aren't really fitting together there Mm -hmm. could you make the argument for the other side well i probably point to the fact that this is etherscan's data they've got a breakdown of the biggest countries where nodes are based 46 percent are based in the us 17 percent in germany 5% in Russia, 4% in Canada. So collectively, quick maths, these four countries alone command about 71% of 
all the nodes that are in business. If 46% of nodes are based in the US, you can kind of see where the SEC's thinking is. But at the same time, you know, there's been people on crypto Twitter who've described the SEC's argument as this super massive black hole sized bad take. Others say it's a scary precedent. And I don't know, I personally feel uncomfortable about saying, okay, we've got jurisdiction on this, when less than half, less than an absolute majority of nodes are actually based in the US. It just feels sometimes, and we've seen this with the XRP case, there's been repeated allegations um, against the SEC that they're just trying to grab more and more and more control and rewrite laws as they go along. Yep. (laughs) I just, I don't think that it's necessary to define Ethereum's jurisdiction in order for this ICO securities fraud case Mm. to go forward. It just seems unnecessary. That's a good point. That's a really good point. But it just reminds me of what you were speaking about last week when it came to Do Kwan. Yeah, which is how can you put a jurisdiction on a cryptocurrency that is used on a truly global and decentralized level? You know, if the founder of a currency breaks one country's laws, which is Do Kwan broke South Korea's laws, mm. couldn't other countries that have similar laws also claim that he broke their laws? Yeah. If the currency did something wrong in every country? So South Korea is a pretty pretty developed country a pretty first world country Mm -hmm. and i imagine that there are similar uh financial fraud laws in you know like canada and spain and germany and america and etc etc so i imagine if company if countries wanted to put out arrest warrants for uh doquan's arrest they could they could just do the same thing Mm. yeah um well, the company Sparkster, which launched this ICO, has settled with the SEC. They're going to put $35 million into a fund that's going to be shared between harmed investors. So this is kind of a separate case to the uh, case that was levied against Sparkster and its CEO. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's an example that crypto influencers are being told very explicitly, you need to be careful when it comes to disclosing that you are being financially incentivized to talk about certain tokens. And if you fail to make the right disclosures, we will come after you, I think is the SEC's point. They definitely have. There's been hundreds of ICO cases like this, I imagine. Jesse Powell. He's announced that he's stepping down as the CEO of Kraken. Big milestone. He founded this exchange back in 2011. Why do you think he's gone? Well, according to him, he's bored. So is this the fact that he just doesn't like the fact that with the bear market, there's less palpable excitement because tokens aren't going up all the time and there isn't mania and loads of new users coming in? Is he not just quitting when the going gets tough? Well, according to an interview with Bloomberg, he said that he actually informed the cracking board of his decision over a year ago. Really? And yeah. And so what he said is, it's just gotten to be more draining on me, less fun. So mm. bored. He's bored. Interesting. Mm. Well, he's going to be replaced as CEO by long-serving Chief Operating Officer Dave Ripley. And he is still going to be part of the Kraken family. He's going to become president. He says he wants to focus more on the company's products, user experience, and broader industry advocacy. Noticing a trend here, Molly Jane, we saw 
Michael Saylor moved from being a CEO to an executive chairman. Jesse Powell's now going from CEO to president. It seems that many of the kind of like OGs involved in kind of really banging the drum on crypto really want to play a role in kind of shaping future policy and kind of banging the drum and getting more people involved and speaking more freely about crypto without necessarily having to worry about the day-to-day running of a company. So they're banging the drum, you said, just to make sure we're all clear on that. Banging the drum, yes. Banging (laughs) banging the drum. Well, Jesse Powell and Kraken did get into a bit of hot water a few months ago. For several reasons. There was a New York Times... (laughs) uh, Yeah, well, there was one New York Times expose about the company's anti-woke culture, Mm -hmm. where Jesse Powell apparently questioned the use of pronouns and questioned the the issue of whether women are as intelligent as men. Mm-hmm. He, he questioned that. Um, shortly after, there was another, I believe, New York Times expose that showed these messages from him saying that it is worth it to uh, onboard users in sanctioned country, <laughs> countries because the fines would sort of be small. Uh, and then the the data showed apparently that Kraken had users in Cuba and Iran. So a little bit of hot water. Yeah, a little bit of hot water. But it does seem like the new CEO, Dave Ripley, doesn't really want to rock the boat too much. He says that his vision, along with the rest of the leadership team, is in lockstep with Jesse's to accelerate the adoption of cryptocurrency. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not this means that the workplace culture will change or whether it will be very similar as to what it was before. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Right, we're going to talk now about (laughs) Twitch because they have announced that they're going to start clamping down on crypto gambling content. From mid-October, live broadcasts of slots, roulette, dice games on sites like stake.com, rollbit.com, dualbits.com, all sites that allow you to use cryptocurrencies for betting will be banned. Now, would you think that that is a good idea? I do think it is a good idea. Because it does seem like a slippery slope yeah. with crypto betting online. Yeah. But I also just wanted to sort of ask the question. I understand Twitch. I've never really been on it, but I understand the idea is you're watching people do other things yeah. on their screens. Yeah. So watching people, you know, play video games, comment on YouTube videos, that all makes a lot of sense to me. Watching someone click a button for a virtual slot machine you're not playing it you're just watching someone else do that seems like the lowest possible form of online entertainment mm. to me. i mean i can't say i've watched it but i can understand why people do watch it and of course you're part of a community you've got the chats going on i can see why it's got appeal well i you know why wouldn't you just go then do it yourself you're just watching them and not risking any money? That's because, well, chatting part, about it? partly that, but it's also, you know, these people have got personalities, you know, they're, they're entertaining to watch. But it's not a game. It's not poker. It's not it's not blackjack. It's just clicking a random a randomizer button. Yeah. But I mean, it's big business, Molly Jane. I mean, one streamer apparently was getting paid $1 million a month more than that from stake.com they were clearly raking it in by getting involved 
with their website. I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong job. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I would so much rather press a button online on a live stream a few hours a day. <laughs> yeah, and lose all your money that way. <laughs> Who says they have to bet big? I can bet small. Well, that won't be as exciting to watch, will it? No, it wouldn't. This is why I'm not doing that as a job. Well, I guess. this has been a bit of an issue because there's a lot of concern about cryptocurrencies and the link to gambling anyway. And there have been reports that some people who ended up watching crypto gambling live streams on Twitch ended up developing an addiction or losing a lot of money. Some top Twitch stars actually threatened to boycott the site unless action was taken. Um, and this wasn't crypto related, but a notable case earlier this month involved one well-known streamer who admitted that he'd scammed fans and other Twitch creators out of $200,000 to fund an addiction to betting on Counter-Strike Global Offensive. And in this case, rare skins in the game were being used to bet on the outcome of other games. So, Wait, by rare skins, do you mean like video game skins where you change how your character yes. looks? Or do you mean like exotic dead animals? I mean the former. Okay. Yeah. So it mm -hmm. is dangerous, but you know, I've seen the impact that gambling addictions can have. This is no good comes of it at all. So, in my personal opinion, hats off to Twitch for doing something about it. Well, I did just want to say in a small aside that this weekend at a Indian casino, my husband did win $38 on a $1 game slot. So good things can come up gambling. $37 whole dollars. I could buy. Yeah. What a ridiculous thing to I'm say. <laughs> Listen, Molly Jane, the sun don't <laughs> shine on the same dog's tail all week. He could go into that casino tomorrow and lose it all. And he probably never would. will. I think we're just going to. I think we've already spent it at the farmer's market. We got some tomatoes and <laughs> well, some some veg other vegetables, some fresh basil. Good. <laughs> Very good. Um, okay. Yeah. So last but not least, we're going to talk about El Salvador because Nayib Bekele has announced that he's running for re-election as El Salvador's president. Sounds pretty straightforward at first until you realise that the constitution says he can't. Well, that part is very confusing to mm. me because while his re-election would violate at least four articles of the Constitution, according to articles I read about this, on the other hand, his government did pass a bill a few months ago that he could run again. So it just seems like there's a lot of conflicting. Yeah, the Supreme Court, which is, has judges that were um, appointed by him, have also said that he can um, go and do two consecutive terms. So is this the kind of thing like in America where marijuana is illegal on a federal level, but legal on some state levels? It's really, really tricky. And actually, when the Supreme Court did say that Nayib Bekele could run again, the US and other foreign countries were absolutely furious about it. They were really, really furious. But this is the point as well, though. He does have a very high approval rating. He has a very high approval rating, but a lot of times in authoritarian countries, there is a very high approval rating. And sometimes it can be real. Yeah. It's not, I'm not saying it's fake. Yeah. It's just confusing. 
I mean, this relates to, especially his approval rating, doesn't really necessarily relate to the Bitcoin law. It's more about the fact that he's really taken a hard line when it comes to tackling gangs. There was a spike in gang-related killings earlier this year. More than 50,000 suspected gang members have been arrested since March. But I do want to talk about the fact that, in some ways, despite the fact he's doing a bit of, you know, kind of legal acrobatics in order to run for re-election... There's a real danger that if he wasn't to be re-elected and if he was to only serve a single term, that the Bitcoin law could end up being reversed. It could end up being reversed. But on the other hand, we've talked so much about how Bitcoin is not really being used as legal tender. And so reversing it would be almost just like a symbolic reversal because it's not removing sort of this thing that's actually really being used. Do you see what I mean? So it just seems like if the country is actually in so much trouble because of the gang-related things, like do, do they really need to take the time to reverse a law that's not actually affecting I people I think that much? this would be more than symbolic. This would be confirmation that the experiment of a country adopting Bitcoin as legal tender had failed. I think that it's far more than a symbolic gesture. I guess so. But right now the law seems to me is saying like, you can use Bitcoin and no one is. And so they'll be like, now you can't anymore. And no one still will. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I guess. Um... Yeah. But it's also other things like what would happen to El Salvador's Bitcoin investment? What would happen to the crypto companies that were moving to El Salvador and investing in El Salvador? What would happen to Bitcoin City? What would happen to the Bitcoin bonds? Uh, you know, this would have wide-reaching effects. Yeah, and I guess it would affect the rest of the world's opinion of El Salvador's fi finances, you know, when they do. Well, the IMF will be popping champagne. I think the bigger question is it would make life a lot harder for the likes of Samson Mao, who are really focusing on nation-state adoption, because the first country in the world to do it has backtracked on it. Which, which, well, it hasn't happened yet. Well, not yet, but if it was to happen, that would be a real damning blow, wouldn't it? It would be pretty bad PR. Yes. But because I don't think adoption has really taken off, it doesn't seem to me like a devastating setback. People would say, disagree. oh, it failed because it was it was it ended too soon. Yeah, that would be the spin that would be put on it. Like they were just impatient. They were too early. <laughs> they, but I actually do think that would be the spin. Yeah, no, it would be. You're absolutely right. It would be the spin. Um, I completely agree with you on that. Well, that is it. All we've got time for on this weekend edition of the Coin Market Recap podcast. Please do leave us a review if you've enjoyed this episode. And obviously, you can get in touch with us on Twitter anytime. We've got crypto news and features coming out of our ears on the Coin Market Cap website, coinmarketcap.com slash Alexandria. Molly Jane, it's been a pleasure speaking to you on this um, sleepy, rainy day. <laughs> what? It is so hot here. I'm going to the beach after this. Oh, you're on the <laughs> beach? No, it's rainy. Rainy here. Rainy here. Oh, yeah. No, I'll go for a swim. Well, have a great weekend, everybody. Bye. <laughs>